Hello, this is Mark Whitby. Hello, my name is Hisha Mazuz. And we've got a very special episode of the podcast for you guys today because Hisham and I have teamed up. We're doing something a little bit different from the normal episode, which is we're both podcasters and admire each other's work. So we decided why not collaborate and do something together? Absolutely. Yeah, Hisham, I really enjoy your podcast. Likewise. I've been listening to it for almost since the beginning, I think for the last 18 months at least, and maybe longer than that. You are an awesome interviewer. Really like how much you squeeze out of, <laughs> at, you know, the information you squeeze out of every one of your guests is fantastic. And often listen to your recruitment mentors podcast when I'm out jogging. So I appreciate that. Well, likewise too, I think I know obviously some people may think, oh, they both have a recruitment podcast, aren't they? Competitors or whatever. But what I think that's great about you, whenever I see your guests, there's some people that I think we may have had the same, but I think what's really unique about what I see from your podcast is you just have such a variety of people in terms of like locations and where they're based. And I think that's that's what I've really enjoyed from your podcast is a lot of my people, the people I've interviewed have been sort of UK heavy, Australia based, America based, but you, you've got a real variety. And I think that talks to like the journey that you've been on, which I really like as well. So I'm excited to uh, yeah collaborate on this. It's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's funny. I don't really see the competition thing. And in fact, one of the themes which we probably will pick up on today is the idea of collaboration. But, you know, there's definitely an overlap and we've had some of the same guests on, but there's also a huge difference. Like you have people I've not interviewed and vice versa. So people should definitely subscribe to both podcasts because there's they're, they're really complementary. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you let everyone know what we've prepared for and what we're going to cover. All right, awesome. So because both of us have interviewed so many successful recruitment business leaders and entrepreneurs, we wanted to discuss what are the common factors? What are the key factors that the most successful recruitment businesses have in common? So I've made a list and you've made a list and we're going to compare notes and talk about some of those common factors that we've seen over and over and over again from all the people that we've interviewed. That's the plan. Well, I know that you, uh, obviously we haven't seen each other's notes or key points. So be interested to see if we end up having any of the same ones. Let's get into it. I'll, I'll go first then. Okay, awesome. The first one that I wrote down, I haven't done it in order. The first one I wrote down that came to mind was willingness to seek help. That's one of the, the points that I, I wrote down immediately. So I think a common learning or sort of a hindsight learning that I hear sometimes from recruiters, uh, recruitment business leaders that have gone on to do really well. When I ask them things like, what would you do differently? Or if you could speak to your younger self, what would you say? A real common answer is that they would have sort of asked for help more quickly. Because I think you can sometimes get caught up in your own sort of world and think you know best. So for me, I think a real common factor is that a lot of recruitment leaders who have continued to grow in successful businesses have actively seeked help or are at least open-minded to get help. 
So that could be that they proactively try and work with a non-executive director. It could be that they proactively sort of network with other recruitment leaders. But a really common thread that I've seen is that they're willing to seek help and they don't have that mindset that it's only their way or they know how they need to do it or they don't want any other people's opinions because it's probably wrong and they know best. So for me, that was the first point that I put down, which I think is a, a really interesting one and definitely a common factor that I've seen in recruitment leaders. Totally agree with that, Hisham. In fact, if there's a stark contrast between what I would say are average performing recruitment companies who kind of stay relatively small and, and, and they do fine and uh, versus the ones that just absolutely take off and really scale and are able to grow profitably, the stark contrast in mindset rather than experience, because the leaders or the owners of those firms that are sort of plateauing, you know, they may have just as much experience, but the people who I've seen who've been the most successful, ironically, are also the ones who are the most open to new ideas, to constantly learning, to continuous improvement, and seeking out information, mentors, coaching, advice, or even networking with peers, because they just always want to improve and and learn. Yeah, absolutely. So that was my first point. So I'm excited to hear your first point. All right, awesome. So my number one to start with is niche market specialization. Not every company, but I would say the vast majority of firm owners I've interviewed who have been the most successful or who I've worked with over the years. So Hisham, I'm going through an exercise at the moment where I'm contacting the recruiter Fast 50, so the 50 fastest growing recruitment companies in the UK, as well as the Hot 100 list from Recruiter Magazine, which are the 100 recruitment companies out of, I think there's 30 or 40,000 recruitment companies in the UK. These are the 100 that are ranked in the top 100 at, in terms of GP per employee. Yeah. Okay. And I've already interviewed many of those CEOs and I'm, I, I've got new ones coming up shortly. The vast majority of them are specialists in a particular market because they're able to be much more credible with their clients and candidates. They have deep market knowledge. They're able to, by delineating their area of specialization, they're able to speak with much more authority and become very visible within that, like they can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. And they're also able to recycle their candidates and clients so that there's not a wasted conversation. Every conversation they have every day, every week is building their marketplace rather than starting from scratch on every new search. So that's definitely a a success factor that I've observed. Yeah, so I actually put that down as an extra one in case we didn't speak about it, but I'm glad you started there. And I think I I, uh, I always, whenever a business leader says that being niche was quite impactful in their business, I'm always curious as to like what they deem niche to be. And a good analogy that I think has come up in one of the conversations that I had is obviously you always hear that phrase, don't you? Inch wide and mile deep. You always hear that what sort of you're highlighting and what you've seen, and I've definitely seen this, is one of the great ways that recruits can add value is that exchange of information, that exchange of insight. 
And I think it's what you just said in your last point, like if you're spending however many hours a week speaking to a lot of the similar people, rather than doing a particular search that is a bit out of your patch, and then the following week going back to your patch, you're always then going to be spending time and doing work that's going to serve you now and in the future. And as we know, recruitment is a long game, takes a lot of consistency, perseverance. So if you're continuing to yeah go in that sort of mile deep area and market, that's why these companies, uh, a lot of them are specialists because you can just really, really know people and businesses and insight around your market as, as much as possible. The analogy that I always like to use on this just very quickly, just to make this really clear, is, is a football one. So you could say that you're a recruitment business that basically recruits for professional footballers in the UK leagues, right? So that could be fine. That could be your specialism. You may deem that to be niche because there's loads of different leagues across the world, right? But actually, when we say specialists and like the companies that are really niche, they're actually people that are going, I recruit only for the Premier League and I only recruit wingbacks. That's the, the, the niche that we're talking about, right? And they could even go a step further, some of these companies. Like we've seen it with like the Frank Group that just do Microsoft Dynamics and just do that, right? So it could be a step further where it's like, it's crazy because you think you're going to miss out loads of business. But the step further is then I only recruit for Premier League teams and I only place and work with left backs. <laughs> do you get what I mean? So that's how totally. niche you can go. And yeah. again, think about it. Every single day you're going to speak to wingbacks, leftbacks, whatever it might be. Like think how valuable that's going to be for, for the companies you're going to be working with that need that piece. So I'm glad you started this. It's a great point. A good analogy. I heard you say that when you were speaking to Michael Young at MSP in, in Glasgow, who I've known for a decade probably. And um, the acronym that makes it easy to remember is FIL, Function Industry Level Location. And that fits in with your football analogy perfectly. So it's funny because I actually, um, I interviewed James Can recently and he, he had a contrary point of view. And I'm like, well, who am I to argue with James Can? But I actually disagreed with him on that because he was saying you should maximize the value of every client relationship. So even if that means recruiting across different functions within the business and so on. But that is opposite to what I've seen yeah, same. from the most successful recruitment companies. I think that might be a longer term play, but I think if you're a growing recruitment business, you need to get really good at what we're talking about, that specialism, and then you can expand from that. Okay. My next point, this sort of ties in a bit to what you said when I spoke about willingness to seek help, but it sort of goes on to the point that I said first. The point I have next is they don't romanticize what worked in the past. So this sort of comes to that open-mindedness of like, yeah, being really open-minded to trying different things, learning, getting out of their comfort zone. Because I think we've all, obviously recruitment has that stereotype, doesn't it? Of sort of people just in the room, smashing the phones and doing all that. But I think genuinely the most successful recruitment leaders like don't sort of just really romanticize what worked for them 10, 15 years ago. And they're always thinking or trying to learn and understand like what more they could be doing. And a good example of this, you may have seen a sort of rise in this, but something that I've definitely noticed is this rise of, you see sort of agencies who have on their LinkedIn, like their job title becomes Hishimazu's MBN Solutions talent partner for delivery via MBN Solutions or whatever. I don't know if you've seen that on LinkedIn where you've seen obviously recruiters add, I'm working for Deliveroo, but I'm doing it via my recruitment agency. 
And the reason why I'm sharing this example is because that probably never has been, an, maybe been an, a slight idea in the past for some recruitment agencies, but that definitely wouldn't be a typical way that a recruitment agency would support their clients. But because they've been open-minded to understand how they can solve more problems, be solutions focused for the clients they're working with, they've come to a conclusion that actually having someone dedicated to implementing, building out interview processes, actually having a delivery email and working under that brand so then they take full responsibility for their employer brand through the interview process. They do all of the interviewing and then it's just senior stakeholders that get involved at the very last stage. So we've gone from, companies are going from like, doing deals, putting bums on seats, having that mentality to actually just building like all in all solutions that can solve a lot of pain for businesses on the hiring side. So the point that I had was just these companies will not just think, oh, well, it's worked for the last three years, so we're going to carry on doing that. Absolutely not. Like they've got really good at understanding what works. They're looking at what isn't working and they're really open-minded to change and try different things that could help them solve more problems for their clients. So that that was the second point that I had. Totally agree. In fact, the pandemic accelerated that for sure because it forced recruitment businesses to innovate and to create different ways of working with clients. And yeah. so I think some of those things were happening already, but the companies that really embraced that and didn't weren't so wedded to the, like, well, this is what we do. And they were able to create new service offerings and almost new products and solutions that they could deliver to help clients solve problems, I think, uh, have definitely flourished. I'm seeing a lot more of that, you know, things like, you know, companies having, you know, a sort of RPO model or a subscription model where they have embedded recruiters, whether it's remote or on-site with the client, a lot more developing their retained search offering as well. So really just adding new service lines and finding new ways to help to partner with clients and be true partners rather than, you know, a vendor who sends, can uh, you know, CVs or resumes to the client. Yeah, they definitely don't. Like, like you said, if you have the mindset during the COVID period of like, right, we're going to keep doing what, what we've done, you're going to find it really difficult. So, so yeah, you make a really good point there because it would have been questions like, okay, our clients are no longer hiring. There's no one on the market right now. What else can we do to support them? It's those types of questions that can create new solutions, ideas. And you've got like, that's what I mean. These successful recruitment leaders don't romanticize what's worked in the past to sort of decide what they do moving forward. This podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. Today, I want to tell you about another Sourcebreaker story. I think it's the best way to showcase how brilliant this tool is. So let me tell you about another Sourcebreaker story. I picked up a role for a conveyancing assistant after finding out there was a surge of requirements for these amongst firms as the end of stamp duty holiday was nearing. A client newly converted thanks to a Sourcebreaker lead search. For those of you that don't know, Sourcebreaker can not only help you uncover candidates, but also help you win business and uncover leads. This new client needed a conveyancing assistant to start urgently. I set up a source bot and followed by a search. For those that don't know, a source bot is ultimately something that you can set up in the Sourcebreaker platform where whilst you're sleeping, whilst you're doing more BD, whilst you're going out meeting candidates face-to-face now, 
this source bot can uncover new candidates that fit the requirements that you know your clients need. Amazing. The first candidate I found via my source breaker search was perfect for the role CV wise and was one of the first people that I got in touch with, saving them time. Around two weeks later, the candidate had been interviewed and offered the role. So thank you to Sourcebreaker for allowing me to find not only leads, but also the perfect candidates to match. If you have not checked out this amazing platform yet, go and check it out. You can get a no obligation demo to check out the platform. You're going to save money on the platform because you listen to this podcast and it's just an absolute no brainer. Use the link in the show notes, check it out. You will not regret it. I think fundamental to growing a successful recruiting business is the ability to attract and retain top talent, top recruiters to work for you. So your internal recruitment strategy and the companies that scale are really able to master that. And the companies that remain small just kind of never never figure that piece out. So it's interesting because there's a mindset shift among entrepreneurs who scale. There's a realization that they are not actually in the business of placing people in jobs. They're in the business of recruiting and training and nurturing recruitment consultants. And if you shift your thinking to that and your priorities shift as well. So I believe there's actually every recruitment business has three customers. You've got your clients and your candidates, but you also have your current and future employees. And each of those different types of customer require an equal level of commitment in terms of building a marketing strategy and both an inbound and an outbound sales and marketing strategy to engage with that particular audience and and nurture them to get them to onboard with your with your company to acquire them whether that's as a client as a candidate or as a recruiter. In fact, I mean I hear this over and over from recruitment business owners is Mark we're really struggling to find good people for our own business. And for sure, I mean it, I'm not pretending it's easy at all. It's it is a challenge. But to some extent, it's a, it's a question of prioritization. Like most recruitment businesses do not give internal recruitment the same level of attention that they do to filling jobs for their clients. And, you know, and yet hiring a really good recruiter for your business is strategically way more important than filling a particular job for a client in terms of the ultimate value that that person's going to bring. And and maybe the same amount of time and effort would go into hiring someone internally versus placing someone externally, but the return would be so dramatically bigger putting that time and effort into your own hire. And so when I look at people's, if they even have a web page that says, you know, why work for us or why join us, typically it's not very good. They've not really put enough thought into their own employer value proposition Whereas the growth companies that are absolutely taking off and getting traction are hugely profitable per employee, they've really dedicated the time, they've thought this through, and they've come up with not just like the basics like compensation and so on, but they've really thought about uh, the sort of culture and the, you know, making their business a great place to work that is going to attract the right people and retain them longer term. Yeah, really good point. And it's an interesting one. I think it's 
when sometimes I've uncovered certain stories, it's been really interesting when you hear that their temp hire was an internal recruiter or whatever quite early on. And I think that is quite uncommon, but it's it, you're completely right. I think when agencies really see that scale up period, it's because they've had that realization and then they've put more resources and time into the areas that you're talking about. And I think that goes quite nice on to my next point, which sort of just adds a bit more on, but I, this is what I write down as well, which was basically these uh, successful recruitment leaders, they invest just as much into keeping people as they do hiring people. So I think it's just really easy to have that mindset of, oh, if we get five more recruiters that all bill X, then we'll be doing X turnover, right? Rather than thinking about how many, so currently out of our million turnover, that's been produced by 20% of our staff. How can we basically get the rest of our team up to where our high performers are? How can we speed up that competency, right? And I think that's where these successful recruitment leaders have had that realization that you're talking about. And they've made the time resources to invest in their existing people because I think quite easily if you have high performers within your recruitment business sometimes it can be easy to think oh they're doing all right they're they're doing well they're getting paid well like don't need to worry about them but actually they're people that still need nurturing they're still people that need to be sort of feel like they're getting the recognition that they deserve they're still people that need to feel like they're getting developed and they're learning right because I've spoke to countless people that leave recruitment businesses because they felt like there was no one else for them to learn from, right? So I think that was just, just to add on, that was one of my other points was like these successful recruitment leaders, like they don't just have that mindset of like, I just need just focusing on hiring and hiring. They do have a, um, a better balance of what else do I need to be doing internally for my existing people to make sure that we're getting everything we possibly can out of our existing employees, if that's performance, if that's making sure that people are happy with sort of the workplace and everything else, but they absolutely don't just think about, I need to get new hires so we can make X money. They're also thinking about their current employees as well. Absolutely. And it's crazy because we as an industry don't follow the same advice we're giving to our own clients, right? We tell our clients about retention, employee engagement, and you know, we want to work, we want to recruit with client companies that have excellent retention and a career path so that when we place someone, there's a progression there for them. Uh, they can develop themselves and so on. And those are the same principles that we should be adopting ourselves as an industry. So I don't know if it's the same point or it's an adjacent or, or complementary one, which is talent development. The fastest growing, most successful recruitment companies really invest in their people. And it's not just like an ad hoc sort of learn on the job, you know, wing it sort of approach to learning and development. It's very well thought through. There's been time, effort and resources, you know, put into this so that from onboarding new team members, uh, whether they're rookies or experienced, to then the development of your, you mentioned like your top 20% people, what are you doing to further enhance their development? What are you doing to develop your leaders of tomorrow and have some kind of leadership development in place? So, you know, the most successful businesses that I've either worked with as a coach or interviewed on the podcast have really bought into that and they have dedicated a lot of time, effort, resource to investing in their people and not just paying lip service to it, but really a serious commitment to talent development within their organization. And they've aligned that to 
creating a career path for people as well. So what I would ask listeners who have ambitions to grow your recruitment business, is there a career ladder that people is laid out? People can see what the opportunity really is and how far they can take this and what the next step is for them. And what, is it a meritocracy or is it like favoritism, nepotism where people, you know, don't, they see people being promoted, but they don't really, you know, there's maybe jealousy or bad feeling because they, they don't understand why that person was promoted. Is it very transparent? Like what is the criteria for promotion? And does each person have their own career development plan within the business, which is then supported with a tailored learning and development package? Yeah, love that. I mean, that that's the exact problem that we're trying to help solve with the recruitment mentors platform. So you're, you're completely right. I think most recruitment leaders, like small growing recruitment businesses more so, yeah, L&D for them basically looks like relying on their top performers time to help the people around them which has so many challenges to it i can be a top performer i'm then responsible for three four people i'm motivated to help these people but when i realize that the more time i put into them it means that i get paid less because i still find it hard to hit my target because i've still got a target on my head there can just be a lot of frustration there and these people can then become less motivated to grow help grow your recruitment business and then some companies do have some sort of initial training. I'd say most do, but still some don't. And then after that, it's very, as you said, ad hoc on the job. Like after some sort of initial training, it's just very reliant on these people getting good at or re- like hoping that they learn from their mistakes. And then they might get some sort of external training, but it's not consistent. It's every now and again. So yeah, that's definitely, I think, the agencies that really look at that and as they grow, how can we provide more and more resources for our people is is definitely a common factor. And I think the other point that you make is a really interesting one. So I've just nearly finished recording like a sort of early on in recruitment series just to go in line with sort of graduation time this year. So I've been interviewing people that are in their first year recruitment, second year recruitment, and they're all people that graduated in the last sort of two years and I've just asked them the direct question like out of interest like what type of company gets you excited to work for like what actually resonates with you is it the Rolex is it the IB for incentives all these types of things and although incentives is something that they definitely enjoy want they want to travel the number one thing is progression yes so what you're talking about it's like can I sit down with Mark he's going to tell me about his recruitment business that I could join and can I see a clear path from where I am today to where I want to be in the next two years. And that's the most common thing. So I think the thing that I take away is like, don't feel like you have to wait until you're X size to have a career plan. Like you can build out a career ladder or a career path, like just uh, whatever size you are. Like it's just really important to have some sort of clarity on like where people can go and how to get there. And you don't have to have an L&D department to do that. You don't have to have a big business to do that. Like you need to think about that because that's what young professionals, motivated people want. So it's a really good point that you make. 100%. The next one that I have, which sort of goes into what I guess what we're talking about, but I definitely see this as a common piece. So the next thing is I've wrote down is they all have a compelling vision for the company. That's Mm. what what I write down. So you always hear around the importance of having a vision and and these types of things. But genuinely, I would say most scaling recruitment agencies that you may know in the market, I guarantee you they have clarity on what they want to be and where they're going. Yes. And why this is so powerful is because that is what can connect 
with people to join your company? As we've said, there's loads of recruitment agencies in the UK alone that I could join. But a big part of what I'm going to be more enticed to is sitting down with Mark Whitby, the recruitment CEO, who's telling me what his vision is for what they're trying to do as a recruitment business. And if that's something that's really compelling to me, and it's something that's aspirational, that's something that I can also connect with when I'm having a hard time in recruitment. That's the really powerful thing with this, right? Everyone has to work out why they're doing what they're doing and sort of what their why is and all of that. But when sort of really successful recruitment leaders really nail down on their vision, it's something that the whole organization can drive towards and connect with. And that's so powerful. And that's also then going to trickle down into giving yourself an even better chance of having a really solid leadership team who, again, are all bought into where this is going, where this company is going, what they stand for, why they're doing it. That's another point that I put down, which I think is really crucial. And I think, again, small growing companies can sort of just think, oh, I'll do this when we're 30 people. I'll do this when we're a bit bigger. But again, like having a compelling vision will help you yourself as a recruitment leader because you have difficult days and having an anchor point as to why you're doing what you're doing and where you're going will help. But also it will absolutely help you connect with people to join your business if they feel like they can be part of something and they really understand where they're going and what you want to achieve. So having a compelling vision for your company is, for me, I think is a real common thread that I've seen successful recruitment leaders have. Yes, it's absolutely critical. So hand in hand with the vision is really developing your culture and the culture is kind of the glue that holds all these individual recruiters together and brings them together as a team it also enhances everything else you're doing so the staff retention piece that we talked about earlier the question is do you have you designed your culture or have you got a culture by default so, you know, culture is basically the way we do things here and it's comprised of so many different factors. So it's the people that you employ, it's the, the rewards, the incentives, the hours that you work, the sort of style of doing business. But the most important, I think, defining feature of the culture comes down to the values. And I've heard this on your podcast uh, it come out, and it's definitely been a common recurring theme on my podcast as well, is when I ask leaders about the keys to scaling, virtually every single one of them points to their values. So they have actually worked out, they spent time, whether it's like with an external consultant or internally, but there's been a collaborative process yeah. with definitely the leadership, but usually involving the employees as well to crystallize what are the things that we feel are most important in the way that we interact with each other and with our clients and our candidates and being able to articulate those values in a way that A, everyone knows what they are and remembers them, but B, they inform decisions, the way people behave, like the decision as to do we hire this person or not, but also how do we deal with certain day-to-day issues with clients and with candidates? And are we operating consistently with our values? And that is a huge element of the culture, but certainly the most successful companies are the ones that have a culture that people feel proud to belong to and to represent. And then they will go out and be your ambassador. Your employees become real advocates and ambassadors for your business in all of their interactions with clients and 
and candidates when they're proud to work in your business. And it's almost difficult for them to imagine working anywhere else because they're so embedded in the fabric of your organization. Yeah. And I think all I'd say is, again, don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, this is the doing these types of things is when I'm a bigger business. It's just it's just not the case. I think, uh, again, it will help you as a business owner thinking about these things and working out. Yeah. Like you said, why would you rather have a culture by default? Like, why would you rather that over having a culture that you've designed? And I think, again, like if you really think about these things as you're growing, you're just going to have an even better chance of hiring the right people because you've understood what you want the values to be of the business in the future or how you want people to act in your organization in the future. So again, what Mark's saying doesn't only apply to bigger organizations. Like the sooner you can think about this sort of stuff, the better. Maybe different if you're a solo founder, or you may still want to think about those things and maybe apply it to the types of businesses that you work for. I think that still applies. But I think if you're definitely a recruitment entrepreneur wants to grow, even if it's five people, 10 people, whatever, don't feel like this is something I should only be doing if I'm a bigger business. I definitely would not have that mindset. Absolutely. In fact, a couple of quick examples of that. One is a company we both know. I know you've interviewed people from there. Is Amoria Bond in uh, headquartered Manchester? Yeah, fantastic business. I worked closely with them for probably a decade, and actually, we helped them to define their values in the first place many, many years ago. We did a, an exercise with all of their managers to help them to, you know, to articulate the values, and that became integral to you know, their hiring and, and their learning development and their, their culture. The other, have you interviewed James Fernandez from Carrington West? No. You should definitely talk to him. Uh, he's a really amazing entrepreneur and, and cool company, but that was something that he really articulated and spelled out when I, when I talked to him was, you know, their values and then how they uh, embed those in the business to result in actual, you know, behaviors rather than it just being a plaque on the wall that, it's really in, in woven into the fabric of the organization. Yeah, love that. So final point then that I have, this is a bit more of an actual characteristic of the people that I've met, continue to meet, speak to. And the characteristic is humility. That's that's what I wrote down again. I think I'm sure people have had experiences listening to this of meeting or dealing with recruitment business leaders that they probably wouldn't say very nice things about them. But all in all, for me personally, my own experience is like most recruitment business leaders that I speak to have humility and abundance. They, they, they really do. And they understand what their employees are going through day to day. They don't think they're any bigger than anyone in the organization. And because they have this humility, they're more willing to learn they're a lot more open-minded to learn from the new people that come into their business as well as the, the people that sit around their board meeting. So just a really short one here, but genuinely, like you don't have to be some sort of sharky sales fanatic person to run a recruit, like successful recruit, like cutthroat. You don't need to be that, in my opinion. If you want to be that is a different story, but I do feel like, obviously, yeah, successful recruitment leaders I would say a lot of the people that have successfully grown their recruitment company, if you were to interview a lot of the people within that organization, 
one of the things they would say that they love about working at that business would definitely be the people and part of that would be the leaders they have access to. And I'd like to think that a lot of people will go, I absolutely love for working for X CEO or I love working for, and I think the people that say that, they're not going to be saying that about egotistical, self-righteous, like privileged people that now think they're better than everyone else because they've made a lot of money in growing recruitment business. They, they continue to have the humility despite how big they get, how successful they get. And that's a, a characteristic that I wanted to highlight because, yeah, obviously recruitment doesn't obviously doesn't have the, the best name. I think it's changing, hopefully, but you definitely don't have to be the typical hard-nosed, sharky recruitment business leader to be successful in, in my eyes. This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry, the recruitment operating system. Today, I just want to tell you a bit about Vinny Chat. If I ask you, what does your internal communication look like? Are you in busy WhatsApp groups? So one minute you're texting your friend or your mum and you've got work chat going on saying a candidate needs this or a client has just called in or are you using Slack maybe? Or maybe have you just put everything into Microsoft Teams, maybe even Google Chat? There's a good chance that it's probably in a few different places your internal communications, which is why Vincherry launched VinnyChat, one of the many great tools within this operating system. You can use VinnyChat on the desktop. You can use VinnyChat on their mobile app. And basically it's ultimately really Slack for recruiters. So it's your internal communications on top of your CRM, which is the whole idea of VinCherry being an all-in-one platform. You could do everything from tag records, instantly share links to candidates, jobs within VinnyChat. You can create certain channels. So let's say you've got a particular team that need their own individual chat group. You can do shout outs really easily. So very easily shout about people making placements, wins that you want to shout about. They've got a Zoom integration. You can share files, start threads, loads of different things. VinnyChat. One of the many reasons why you need to be looking at Vincherry as your recruitment operating system. If you haven't checked it out already, use the link in the show notes for a no pressure demo on the product and see how this operating system can enable your recruitment business to scale and grow. 100%. Humility is high on my list of desirable qualities for sure. In fact, great book is by Ryan, Ryan Halliday, Ego is the Enemy. Yeah, I haven't actually read that, but obviously I've seen it being recommended a lot. Put it on your reading list. It's uh, it's a good one. So yeah, humility is high. And and that old image of the Wolf of Wall Street sort of culture, I think is changing. I, it's hard to know, Hisham, because there's a certain mindset of person who agrees to come on a podcast, right? Which is someone who probably already has that humility and is willing to share and learn from peers and so on. So I don't know if it's representative, but certainly the vast majority of the most successful recruiters I've met have been extremely humble and um, really open-minded and, and not thought they were superior to, to other people, for sure. I think you've got the last point. All right, awesome. So I think this is a different one to what, if we had to had this conversation like even like five years ago or even Two or three years ago, I don't think it would have been on the list, but investing in marketing, traditionally recruiting is a very sales-led business. It still is, in my view, it's a sales job. If you define selling as in the way Greg Savage, my friend Greg Savage um, does, which is influencing, advising, consulting, qualifying, 
etc., then, you know, in a sophisticated solution selling environment than it is a sales business. However, marketing is occupying more and more importance. And the companies that I see doing extremely well and punching above their weight so that they are outperforming much larger companies are ones who have made the decision to invest bandwidth and resource in marketing. And whether that is they're doing it themselves, whether they're using agency or whether they are going to hire uh, a full-time marketing person. It's it's interesting how in, in when I was coming up, Hishem, I don't know about you, but no recruitment business had a marketing department. But now, in fact, when I interviewed Greg Savage, he said your fifth, sixth or seventh hire should be marketing person, like a full-time marketing person, not another consultant. And I'm seeing more companies doing that where they're actually, they might hire an agency initially, but then ultimately the, the goal is to bring that function in-house and do things like building communities around, I don't know if this is a separate point of the, or a related point, but instead of just being a vendor who's on the periphery of your niche that we talked about that you serve, it's actually occupying a leadership role within that community and adding value to that ecosystem by holding events, bringing people together and sharing insight with that community. And, and marketing is really the, the vehicle for achieving that kind of leadership status and being highly visible as a thought leader, as someone who brings value, as a company that invests in, you know, that particular industry, not just to make fees or make placements, but who's actually committed to serving that industry at a, at a higher level in a more selfless way. I think that is ultimately good for business, even though in the short term, it doesn't necessarily drive immediate placements. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought it up. And I think really agree. And I think the, the really exciting thing as well is obviously across different sectors, you always hear around that challenge of sales and marketing, having a really good relationship and communication. But I'd like to think a modern day recruiter should understand that building their own brand and making sure that they're seen as the go-to recruiter within the, in their market is something that they should be investing time into. So hopefully what that's what's exciting as well is that as especially the recruiters coming into the industry, they would have grown up their whole life with social media and all these types of things. I think their personal branding and building your own brand is, is absolutely a staple of what a successful recruiter will be doing and, and looks like in today's market. So hopefully what that will mean is that as recruitment businesses invest more into marketing, there's even more success with that if their recruiters buy into it, they've got a marketing function investing more into it. And then it's just about, yeah, doing the things or working out the things that they can invest in that marketing budget that can really support the whole organization. And I think the most common thing that I see that, as you mentioned, is, is absolutely events, building communities. And I think that's a really solid place to start. There's so many success stories or frameworks that you could go and follow that you could replicate in your own niche in your own market and there'd be a good chance that it would go down well and for me the main reason why is that it's a really easy crossover from sales to marketing if you can equip your whole sales team your consultants with a whole other reason to reach out prospect speak to people because it's around the events it's around the podcast that you started it's around webinars that you're hosting then it's just a real good connection uh, with marketing and it helps a lot of consultants because a lot of the time they just need more reasons to speak to people that aren't jobs and all these types of things so 
I think that's going to create increase and increase, I think. Yeah, no, you're totally right. In fact, I missed out a point which you filled in, which is about the individual responsibility and for yeah. building your personal brand, because I, I think companies should lead the charge and be supporting their team with great marketing. But at the same time, if you're a recruiter in a business that isn't necessarily doing that, then there's nothing at all stopping you from focusing on building your personal brand and being the go-to recruiter in your niche within the business. And once you, if you're leading the way and showing that you're getting results with that, then others will probably follow suit. Absolutely. Well, there we go. All right. Really enjoyed that. That was awesome. That was fun, Hisham. How many points was that? That was 10. 10? All right, cool. That was fine. Five each. Awesome. Nice round number. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that. Mark really enjoyed collaborating. Yeah, let's let's keep doing what we're doing and hopefully we can together move the needle on changing the perception of the recruitment industry. I think it's such a great career choice for so many people. And um, yeah, hopefully we can support more people in their careers and at the same time leave a real positive mark on the recruitment industry. Totally. This career has a chance to, not only can it be very rewarding financially, but it is an opportunity to have a, an impact on people's lives, change lives for the better, have a pause, make a positive difference to the success of your client companies. And yeah, I can't imagine where I would have been if I hadn't fallen into recruitment uh, 20 some years ago. Exactly. Mark, awesome. Been a pleasure. All right. Let's do it again, Hisham. Have a great day. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.